scripture lesson tonight is from Paul's letter to the Philippians. And it's only four verses. Let me put this down. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, as we gather to worship you, we claim that you are with us and yet call you to stay near. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I don't know about y'all, but here on the third Sunday of Advent, I find myself looking for the right things to pray. I started thinking about this sermon before Friday morning, but after Friday morning, as I heard a commentator on CNN say on Friday afternoon, we live in a different world. We're changed by Friday's events in Connecticut. And I think many of us are looking for what to say about something that is truly incomprehensible. And here on the third Sunday in Advent, one of the lectionary texts is four short verses from Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. This letter was probably written in the 50s or 60s CE to a church to a community of people struggling to live as a community, struggling to find unity. Scholars have argued about whether the letter was all written by Paul, whether it was all written at once. And some have pointed to these four short verses as evidence that the book we know as Philippians was pieced together. One scholar even referred to these verses as miscellaneous exhortations. Indeed, the heading editors have inserted in our study Bibles right above Philippians 4 says, Exhortations. An exhortation, according to the dictionary, is an utterance, discourse, or address conveying urgent advice or recommendations. An urgent urging for an urgent time, perhaps. As I saw that heading in preparing for this message, It struck me that exhortations may be exactly what we need today. Urgent advice for painful times. I say painful times because of the tragedy in Newtown, but also because of the things that come in and out of our lives all the time. Big things and small things that give us need for hope. In Advent, we practice hopeful waiting. We're waiting for the coming of our Lord, and we're hopeful because we believe and we claim that that coming will make something better. That's a hope we always carry with us, and it transcends the cozy, 
jingle belliness of Christmas. It reaches deeper, even into the depths of whatever it is. Depression, loneliness, cold, fear, confusion, and sorrow. It reaches to the truth of Christmas, which is not that we're waiting for someone to make us feel warm and fuzzy, although we all love that, but that we're waiting for someone who can save our broken world. When we wait, hopefully, for the Christ child, we're making the claim that that little baby came to help us. If Friday's horrors had not happened, we would still be sitting here tonight making the claim that the Lord has come into our world to save it and that we as Christians will wait on him. And since Newtown, Connecticut and our nation are changed, Paul's urgent advice becomes even more important for our Advent waiting. If we break down Paul's exhortations verse by verse, they become a sort of set of essentials, guidance or instructions or prayers. First, Paul says to rejoice. He actually says it twice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Maybe Paul actually knew that rejoicing would not always come easily to his brothers and sisters in Philippi because he repeats himself and he uses an imperative. He does not say, you know, maybe you should think about rejoicing. He says, I say rejoice. When we receive bad news or lose a job or get sick or love someone who's sick or grieve for a loved one or feel alone or watch from afar a horrific tragedy that makes our hearts shudder, rejoicing may be the very last thing we want to do. Singing and dancing and celebrating have their time. But as we read Paul's letter to the Philippians, as we sit here tonight on the third Sunday in Advent, rejoicing takes on a different character. When Paul says to rejoice, it means much more than to laugh or to feel happy. It means taking joy and perhaps also giving joy as we prepare our hearts for Jesus Christ. This joy as C.S. Lewis put it in Surprised by Joy, must be sharply distinguished both from happiness and pleasure. Joy has indeed one characteristic and only one in common with happiness and pleasure, the fact that anyone who has it will want it again. This joy, the joy of our Lord, does not have to be smiley or saccharine or sweet. It is the joy that settles into our hearts if we turn ourselves, including all our hurts and the hurts of our world, over to God and trust that God will carry them. It is the joy that comes from believing that Jesus' birth and death did something in our world and that that same Savior holds us today. We proclaim the need for this kind of rejoicing all the time when we sing Christmas hymns, and we've been doing it tonight. Think about one of, I think, the most haunting melodies of all time. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. This is not fluffy and sweet. Israel mourns in lonely exile. O come, thou day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. 
disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. O come, desire of nations, bind all peoples in one heart and mind. Let envy, strife, and discord cease. Fill the whole world with heaven's peace. What's the next line? Rejoice. Rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. That hymn is a prayer and a claim. It tells us that the world is broken and hurting and that we believe God is with us in all that hurt. Coming not just to be a sweet baby, but to redeem, to cheer, to bind up, to bring us peace. This is the joy we seek for our hearts and for the hearts of all the world. Every time we sing, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let every heart prepare him room. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. Rejoice, Paul tells us. Take joy into our hearts here at Advent. Here is we need Emmanuel in our world to relieve sorrows as much as ever. Again, I say rejoice. Then in the very next verse, Paul instructs the Philippians to let their gentleness be known to everyone and tells them that the Lord is near. Telling them that the Lord is near might be a comfort to strengthen and embolden them, or it might be a reminder to them so that they govern their actions properly. But in either case, it is also a claim. The Lord is near. And Paul's words tell us to let our gentleness be known to everyone. The Greek word translated there as gentleness is, I'm going to maybe say this wrong, and I didn't get to check with Joel, (laughs) epiakes. I'll check on that later. And it refers to restraint on the passions. Different English translations have chosen different words for it. Gentleness, consideration, reasonableness, moderation, graciousness, humility, fairness, and forbearance. And all of them have one thing in common. They all relate to how we treat others. As we reconsider what it might mean to rejoice at the coming of our Lord, the Lord who can change things, Paul turns us, along with our first century brothers and sisters, to how we treat each other. In our morning worship services today, Craig Goodrich talked about the Virgin Mary receiving the news that she would be Jesus' mother and running to be with Elizabeth as she waited for the birth of John the Baptist. Craig encouraged us to wait together, to ask someone to wait with us or to reach out and offer to wait with someone else. Sometimes this gentleness is what it will mean to be a community of faith. In our third verse, Paul writes, Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's a packed verse, so we'll unpack it. It begins with reassurance, comfort even, as Paul tells the Philippians not to worry about anything. Not to worry. That sounds pretty good. His reassurance comes with the promise that they can safely unload their burdens because God is waiting to hear and to carry them. We have only to pray. We have only to come honestly 
to God with our thanks and our requests, and then to have the faith to turn them over. Our request tonight might be for ourselves or for loved ones who grieve. I imagine we all ache together for the parents and family members of the children and teachers who will not see this Christmas. Our thanks might be for the goodness of those victims' lives who brightened their families and our world for some time. Our thanks might be that the evil of Friday morning did not touch our babies on that day. Friends, the promise we hear from Paul that we claim in Jesus is that those prayers are all true and good and that our Lord will hold them. And even more than that, the promise we hear in the last verse of this text is that the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There is something our world needs at Advent, and really all the time. It is peace. And not just the absence of war or violence, which we do so desperately need, but peace that is more than we can imagine or understand. Peace that seeps into our hearts and minds and guards them. Is there something we could want more than for God to be the sentry of our hearts? O come, O come, Emmanuel. Fill the whole world with heaven's peace. Anne Lamott is an author some of you might know. You all know Anne Lamott? She's really quite irreverent, um, but has an abiding faith. And she's written a lot about prayer and our need to say to God the real things that are in our hearts. Because as my Old Testament professor used to say, God can take it. Anne Lamott's most recent book, which is just out this year, is actually about what she calls the three essential prayers. She sums them up with three words, help, thanks, and wow. As I watched the news this weekend and let Paul's words to the Philippians stew in my mind, I kept thinking of Anne Lamott's three prayers, and I found myself praying, Help us, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And while the wow could sometimes be amazement at the goodness we see, this weekend for me it was a more somber wow, amazement at how much hurt people can cause to each other. But I prayed for that other kind of wow, the kind when we whisper, wow, when we are awed by the joy of Christ and that promise of peace that is more than we can understand. In her book, Anne Lamott talks about how she responds when she hears terrible news, especially the kind that can't be changed or made sense of. She gives the example, and probably we all know of a similar story, of a young mother who's diagnosed with aggressive cancer, the kind that grows despite treatments and despite her young children's need for her. A friend gave Anne Lamott this kind of news and asked her to keep the young mother in her prayers. Lamott writes that she responded by closing her eyes and saying to God in silence, I hold this family in your light. I pray for them to get their miracle 
and to have stamina, for them to be okay today, for their love and amazing senses of humor to help them come through. Although, if you, God, have a minute, I'd like to know, what on earth could you be thinking? She trusted God enough to wonder what our nation has been wondering together since Friday. And she writes that that prayer and her friendship were pretty much all she had to offer. We can't change the devastation of Newtown, and we can't control a lot of the other things that make Advent a time of earnest, sometimes even desperate, calls for a Lord who will come to us. What we can do is take joy into our hearts and claim that that Lord is coming, that the third Advent candle, the candle of love, thankfully still burning here, reminds us that he is coming with a love and a peace deeper than we can comprehend and powerful enough to guard even our broken hearts. What we can do is reach out in friendship and love to anyone who's hurting. We can wait together, just as Mary and Elizabeth did so long ago, and we can pray, alone and together, for ourselves and for each other. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Help. Thanks. Wow. Amen.